You're listening to the Living Leadership Podcast, growing disciple-making leaders. My name is Marcus Honeysett. You can find out more about Living Leadership at www.livingleadership.org or on Twitter at Living Leaders. And you can find me on Twitter at Marcus.Honeysett. In this episode, we're going to explore what it means to be disciple-making leaders. Let me start with a question. If I were to ask an average member in your church to sum up in a sentence what the five to ten year aim of the church is, what would they say? And how clear and concrete would their answer be? My guess is that many of you listening will say, not very. And therein lies the difficulty in growing disciple-making disciples. We are frequently not clear about what people should expect, and therefore as leaders we're not very intentional. If you've listened into this podcast before, you'll have heard me explain that our starting point at Living Leadership for thinking biblically about leadership comes from Philippians 1. The Apostle Paul says he wants to work with the church in Philippi for their progress and joy in the faith, so that their joy in Jesus will overflow abundantly. That's the goal. That's the DNA. Churches full of believers who are overflowing with joy in Christ as they make disciples. And therefore, that's the job of leaders. Every church has this DNA when it's founded. It's impossible to plant a church that doesn't. How churches lose the DNA is a very interesting question. It is often simply by drift and loss of focus. However, when a church has lost its foundational commitment to making disciple-making disciples, it can be extremely difficult to recover. In its place, we tend to adopt a pastoral understanding of church that exists solely for the needs of Christians. One of the initiatives that we have at Living Leadership is called Formation School. It is a leadership school in Southampton on the south coast of the UK in partnership with Above Bar Church in the city. Formation School grows disciple-making leaders in the life of local churches. And the leadership training track in the school is called Learning to Lead in Communities of Mission. The title shapes the content. We find that when students understand that the UK is a secular, post-Christian and post-Christendom mission field, one that is frequently hard ground, and when they realise that churches are communities on mission in that mission field, it becomes much easier for them to explore what we mean when we talk about leadership, learning to lead in communities of mission. Very often we find students having to make a real paradigm shift in their thinking from leaders as the runners of the church and the ones who deliver all the ministry to leaders as facilitators and equippers of the ministry of all the believers. It's all too easy for everybody to collude in the first understanding. After all, who doesn't like everything being done for us? And it gives leaders a buzz of affirmation because we achieve something measurable that people want and like. Someone said to me a little while ago, if I have a dental problem, I go to a dentist. If I have a spiritual problem, I go to a minister. And I don't expect the dentist to say, let me teach you how to do this. Why then should I expect that from the minister? You see the problem? They think that church is a service that they are buying from the minister, just like they're buying dental services. When church leaders try to push back against this and regain a biblical understanding of leadership and disciple-making, the reaction can be strong. 
When a church and its leaders give a high proportion of time, resources and manpower to pastoring and to maintaining a meetings model of church that people like, there is simply often no capacity left to establish a disciple-making DNA, not without dropping something else that people value. Developing a disciple-making culture is a long-term, people-intensive exercise. The consequence is that many leaders are in a state of unreadiness to do it. We have bought into models of ministry that don't allow time. I hardly need to say that leadership in the New Testament church was always plural and always collegial, but it's never more important than on this issue. Soul leaders never have the capacity. Wherever effort is given to growing a disciple-making culture, we expect to see a good group of leaders working together as a team. It's important to state some of the negatives as we start, because making the changes is not easy. We might want to develop a disciple-making mindset, but if in reality our church does not, or won't devote the necessary resource and time to it, then it always falters because we didn't count the cost. I'd like to read to you my favourite disciple-making verse in the New Testament. You can find it in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. The Apostle Paul says this to Timothy, his friend, co-worker and son in the faith. This is how Paul has discipled him. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. Let's just tease apart the elements there. So firstly, Paul says to Timothy that I taught you. He passed on the good deposit of the gospel, true doctrine, right understanding, firm foundations for everything else, how critical that is and how badly churches go wrong when they lose those firm foundations. However, there are other churches who find it very easy to let it go at that, to lay the foundation, but then never build anything on top of it. But Paul does. He goes on. I've taught you about my way of life. You know my way of life. He has let Timothy get close enough to have a slice of his life. Timothy is able to see and experience the life difference that foundational teaching makes for Paul. First Thessalonians uh, says the same. Paul says there he shares not only the gospel of God, but his life as well. There is no clergy, laity, professional divide in Paul's mind that would let him get away with sharing the gospel, but not his life. He is living out the message, and that is what Timothy is invited into. He goes on, Timothy, you know about my purpose. I've taught you what my goals are. I've taught you what I'm trying to achieve, and I've passed those on to you too. You know about my faith. I have shown you how I'm growing in the faith, how I'm living out of faith. It is faith that allows Paul and Timothy and us to take risks as leaders. One of the main reasons people don't raise up new leaders in their church is fear of the risk. You'll never do it while you're determined to play it safe yourself, or if you think the emotional consequences of trying new things will be so debilitating that you simply don't have the capacity. If you're listening in and you feel that kind of level of lack and undercapitalization, you need to seriously review your patterns of life and ministry 
because it's likely that you've been ambushed by demands that are leading you to a lifetime of fear and fruitlessness. Paul goes on, Timothy, you know about my patience and my love, how I deal with people gently, how I handle it when not everything I'm praying about comes to pass, how I love the people who drive me nuts. And then you know about the endurance and persecutions and sufferings in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra. He's taken Timothy with him. He has taught him, but he's also apprenticed him and immersed him in what he's doing. Timothy was there outside the Ephesus amphitheatre when 24,000 people were screaming greatest Artemis at the top of their voices. I'm sure that was a lovely evening. It's risky apprenticing somebody and immersing them in what you're doing. Maybe there were times when Timothy mucked it up. John Mark certainly did. It's a very interesting couple of verses. When I say the word discipleship to people who have been a Christian for a while, I often find they think it means one of two things. Either have a daily quiet time of educating yourself in the Bible, or try to be personally, privately moral like Jesus. Neither of those things are bad. But I rarely hear people say discipleship. That means following Jesus in doing what he commands and getting involved in what he's doing, throwing our lives away for love of him and for others in fulfillment of the Great Commission. What we're seeking to do when we're discipling people is introducing them to what the Lord is doing in the church, outside the church, overseas, maybe. We are God's fellow workers going along with him, participating with him, becoming like him. And we are inviting people to be fellow workers with God by becoming fellow workers with us, coming along with us, participating with us and following us as we follow Christ. Not so much training then as parenting. If you want to sum it up in three ideas, they would be teaching, apprenticing and immersion. Or as Paul puts it elsewhere in Philippians chapter 4 verse 9, the things that you have heard from me and seen in me put into practice. Hearing, that's training. Seeing is apprenticing. Put into practice. Go do it yourself. Immerse yourself in the things that you have heard and seen. Someone said to me recently, someone who's been a Christian a long time, I don't think I could ever say to anybody, follow me as I follow Christ. The answer should be, why ever not? What has gone so wrong with your own discipleship that you are unwilling to share with others? And here we hit a crunch issue. If we have congregations of passive receivers, then it may be that a large percentage of them are not real disciples, or if they are, they became Christians 30 years ago, grow for a couple of years and then stop. They might look like they've been in church every Sunday for 30 years, but they're two or three years old at most as a Christian. And they won't do the job of discipling because they can't. People who can't identify God doing anything in their lives for many years, People who confuse faithful discipleship with attendance of meetings can't. And we shouldn't waste our time trying to get them to grasp the need to be involved in disciple making until we have broken them out of that rut and got them back into actively trusting and reckoning on the promises of God. I was chatting to an evangelist at a conference and he told me, I think I'm doing accurate Orthodox evangelism, I'm telling people the gospel, but if I'm honest, a lot of the people who are becoming Christians will be pew fillers in a year's time. 
The only difference in their lives will be that they've tacked on going to a church service on Sunday. I asked him why he thought that was. His answer was profound. I think we invite people into all the benefits of Christ's death, he said, received by faith that are utterly of grace and for which they can't do anything but repent and believe. But at the same time, we omit to tell them that if they become Christians, they will be invited into Jesus's life. He will live in them by the Holy Spirit and that they're invited into Jesus's purposes. He will give them spiritual gifts for witnessing and serving. He will include them in his disciple making community and give them the great adventure of working with him. We should be doing that at the point of evangelism. Otherwise, a year later, the only thing that will have changed about their pattern of living is that they go to church. I think my friend had been tempted to give people the systematic teaching so they know the gospel, but without completing the story that they are meant to go on to live it. A message of forgiveness, justification, adoption, receiving the benefits of Jesus' death, that's all true, gloriously true. But if left at that, it can lead people essentially into passivity because they aren't the whole story. We are inviting people into the life of Jesus to be involved in his saving of people. We ought to be telling all new believers that from the word go. Maybe some of us find it easier to teach the truth of the Lord than to lead people in the ways of the Lord. Moses said, if you are pleased with me, God, teach me your ways so I may know you. The point of evangelism and the point of entry into a church are critical for getting people to understand what they're getting into. Whether people join expecting to participate in one of Jesus's disciple making teams or not, determines whether they will be partners or passengers in his great cause of making witnessing, worshiping disciples. And if you don't tell them at the point of entry and think you can introduce it later on, do not be surprised if people think that you've done a bait and switch on them. Jesus did not come walking along the beach to meet his first followers and say, let me into your heart, or why don't you come and join me in a church service? He said, come, leave your nets, which was their jobs, and follow me. And they did. Later, Peter would say, we've left everything to follow you. Jesus doesn't come into our lives and into what we're doing alongside everything else, so much as to invite us into his life. He wants us to leave our life and get involved in what he's doing. That's discipleship. The heart of leadership is facilitating all the believers in spreading a passion for the glory of God. The heart of leadership is gathering people with us to live for the glory of God in the world. The goal of leadership is growing disciple-making disciples and communities of disciple-making disciples. We began this episode with the question of how clear people in your church are about what you are trying to accomplish together. What is your church's aim? Let me finish with another question. How intentional are you at the point of entry? Can new people spend some time with your church and not be clear about the disciple making purpose? Unless we are persuaded that church is disciple making community, that's the DNA then we will always make it one thing among many, rather than the paradigm that governs everything else. And therefore, we will always be reluctant to stop doing other things to prioritise it. But deliberate setting goals with people 
taking them to the next step, giving them a vision of what is possible in God if they walk by faith, stops them treading water in the life of discipleship. It enables them to take steps into God's calling on their lives that they can't take otherwise. And it never, ever happens unintentionally. People did it for us, maybe well, maybe not so well. We want to do it for others in such a way as they can go further with the Lord than we will. The thing is that if we grow disciples who have a clear view and commitment to their own growth and their own ministry, then what we get is biblical church and biblical mission. If, on the other hand, we devote our time to putting on activities and running structures, there's no guarantee it works the other way around. You don't necessarily reverse engineer discipleship from running structures and putting on activities because people join because they like the buzz. They like the activities, not because of a commitment to the mission of God. And so we all too easily end up substituting disciple making for organization making and activities for mission and mission focused disciples uh, get replaced by nice things for the children and church holidays and all the rest of it. You know the stuff I mean. And then churches move into maintenance mode when they're good and full and buzzing and everybody loves it and doesn't want it to change. And then people decide they want leaders not to build a bridge to the future, but to organise and deliver the nice things that they have now. And we as leaders can collude in that extremely easily, especially when we're maxed out. In our day, many churches have got used to putting on good events and hoping that non-Christians will like them. We're going to increasingly have to move away from that, from invitation to events and activities, into an offer to join a community of disciples if we want to break through to the next level. What we're seeking to grow in our development and training are people who, when we cut them, bleed grace, truth, mission and discipleship. Our aim is to change the DNA so that every community of disciples has discipling, growing missional disciples and missional communities and doing witness right at the core of their DNA. And as we do so, by God's grace, may we change the mindset of people who understand church as a place where they as a client come to escape from the world to one in which they understand church as their community for participating in and being equipped to live for the purposes of God in the world. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Living Leadership Podcast. For more about Living Leadership, to connect with us, to give, or to sign up for regular prayer news, please visit livingleadership.org. Blessings.